Having cactus uh, is a treasure to us, particularly now, uh, in, a, in, a, in this strange period of increasing temperature in the Mediterranean areas, lack of water, you have a plant with the, with the highest water use efficiency in the world, so why not? Our guest today is Paolo Inglesi, a professor of horticulture at Palermo University in Sicily. Paolo was recently in Australia at the invitation of the Italian Cultural Institute, and I heard from so many people you must talk to Paolo. You have to talk to Paolo. Have you talked to Paolo? <laughs> but before I could actually talk to Paolo, he went back to Italy. I was not going to let that stop us having a chat. Uh, so here we are together on the podcast. Paolo, welcome. Oh, thank you very much. Now finally we talk together. <laughs> I know. I'm so happy to chat to you and sorry I missed you in Melbourne. Tell us about your trip. What was it like? Oh, it was very long. <laughs> the trip back to Italy of oh, 29 hours, it's too long. But my, my, my visit in, in Melbourne was fantastic. I enjoyed very much the city. I enjoyed very much the, um, the companions I have and the, the botanical gardens. Your, your country is fantastic. And the melting pot in, in Melbourne is, is the future. I'm European and we live uh, today the problem, what they, what they believe is a problem of people coming from North Africa and from all over the world to Europe has a problem. And uh, when you go to Australia, you think this could be an opportunity. Yeah, well, that's such an interesting and welcome perspective because Australia could actually be a lot more welcoming to people from other countries. But also, as you say, it is a melting pot and we do, for the most part, live with yeah many d different cultures and, at least from my perspective, you know, appreciate all the different... Um, yeah, cultural um, backgrounds and certainly the food that people bring from yeah. all over the world. Um, yeah, as well as I think uh, a lot of people in Australia are appreciating more and more now the food that's been here for tens of thousands of years. Um, so we have the opportunity to develop a, a, a really unique cuisine. Yeah, it's, this is true. But what is uh, interesting to me is that it is difficult to find in Melbourne what is the Australian food? I mean, if you look for an Australian restaurant, what kind of restaurant is the Australian restaurant? Vietnam, Thai, Chinese? I think it will, it will take uh, years and years and decades, maybe centuries, to have a, a real Australian cuisine, like the Mediterranean one. Because your cuisine will depend from this very wide range of experiences and cultures you have in Australia now. But if I what is the real Australian cuisine? Oh, I mean, it? it's, 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 well, I don't, <laughs> I don't have the answer. It's certainly a very interesting question. I mean, there have obviously been people living here for tens of thousands of years, eating the food that um, is indigenous to the Australian continent. And um, uh, yeah, so I, I think those ingredients more and more are being brought into a mainstream understanding of what Australian cuisine could be. But then, of course, yes, there are so many other layers as different waves of immigration have come in. Uh, and I think Australians are generally very curious about food. I think one thing that I, I miss when I travel, well, one thing I love when I travel, let's say to Italy, uh, is that 
people are so passionate about the cuisine that has been they've grown up with that has been there for centuries layer upon layer um uh and you could eat italian food with pride and joy every day but here i think we're so used to having italian one day uh japanese the next vietnamese the day after that and you know perhaps something a bit more anglo the day after that it's we certainly do eat a great variety of foods and, and that to me is as australian as anything else yeah but uh, i think that uh, once upon a time we have been australia somehow i mean if you think about the roman age of the greek age italy was almost uh, i mean we're just we have a, yes we have a local population but then the greek the phoenicians and then the greek and then the romans came and the mediterranean diet which is now something that you can understand you can you can i can talk about mediterranean diet but actually at the beginning and still now it is a, a blend of many cultures 90 percent for instance of fruit crops growing in italy today come from persia china the eastern world are not native even even pasta alla norma, the most common Italian pasta, pasta with the red sauce, tomato sauce. Tomatoes comes from Mexico. And uh, the, the, the wheat, the durum wheat from, come from the Caucasian area. The, the eggplants come from India. And the basil come from Turkey. So what is Italian? The idea. The idea is Italian, but all the ingredients, they are not native in Italy. So in this case, we, are, we have been something like Australia in the past, when we introduced a lot of crops, a lot of ingredients, and we created our own cuisine. But it's a very long-lasting phenomenon. Yeah, it's so interesting. And I suppose, I mean, you can ask also, what is Italy? Like, it's, um, it doesn't exist for century upon century anyway. Yeah. Italy is a young country. I mean, we, as, a, as a nation, we are just 150 years old, 170, mm. something like that. Yeah. Well, Paolo, I know that you are expert in many different um, plants and, and fruits, but I mean, when, when you meet someone at a party and they ask you what you do, what do you tell them? <laughs> but I am an horticulturalist. I, I, I deal with fruit crops. Uh, by mainly with Mediterranean fruit crop, but uh, my real love is the prickly pear, uh, the, the cactus, which is something not useful in, in Australia. Cactus is an, is an invasive species in Australia, a very dangerous species, but not in our areas. And I've been studying cactus and olive and, and, and now tropical trees uh, in the last 35 years. Now I'm very much involved in mangoes because I like, I like very much to understand how plants behave in a different environment. So introducing new plants is, is, is a very interesting fact in terms of, term of science. Ah, well, I honestly have never heard anybody speak of prickly pears with any passion whatsoever. So this is a new, a new journey for me. What, what do you love about them? The, I mean, it's a unique plant, the, the, the physiology, the morphology. When, they, when the Europeans came to, the, to the, what they called India, and was the actual Cuba, they found this, kind, this strange plant and they said, what kind of plant is this? It's a monster. 
We need Leonardo da Vinci to paint to, to show the, the Queen of Spain what we have found here. And it's a miracle. It's a strange plant, very strange plant in terms of physiology and in terms of opportunities it gives you in terms of food, fodder, forage, um, byproduct, oil, carmine, very, very many. It's, it's, it, we call it, this is the pig of the vegetables. Of, of trees. We, you use everything of the plants and this is very interesting to us. Ah, so who, who is making use of it and what do they actually do? I mean, in, in native areas, in native areas they, they use the cladots, the paths as vegetables, they use the fruit as fruit, they make, they make out uh, from the, they make a flower out of it and they, use, they make cakes, they do whatever they, you, you can imagine every kind of food and uh, from human beings and from, from, for cattles. So having, having cactus uh, is a treasure to us, particularly now uh, in, a, in, a, in this strange period of increasing temperature in the Mediterranean areas, lack of water, you have a plant with the with highest water use efficiency in the world. So why not use wow. it? Wow. And what, I mean, this maybe this is a really dumb question, but what about the prickles? I mean, the, the prickles, the, 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 the plant we use is, is without prickles. The plants, the fruits, has the, they have the prickles, but they're very easy to remove. So when, uh, when, we, when we find the fruits in the market, they are completely spineless. Ah, okay. Well, I can start to like it a bit more now. <laughs> when what is it like for you to come to Australia and this um, magic plant that has all these uses is actually a pest here? People don't really people no, aren't no. as in love with it. It's, you are not allowed to enter the plant in, in your country because it is a weed. It used to be a weed and it was disrupted by the use of an insect in Australia. It was a weed that completely destroyed many environments in Australia one century ago, and it was. Uh, it was a high fight, man against the cactus, and we won, actually. And you don't like to have a plant any longer in your country. And it's okay. I mean, it can be an invasive plant. I, I appreciate very much the politics of Australia in terms of uh, safeguarding the, the environment, the local and native environment, because you have a very, very delicate balance, and you have a fantastic native plant there and your right to not to use not to allow too many plants to get into your country and destroy the environment in in terms of evolution it is clear that uh, in australia you have no native plants very much used in food like in Europe or North America, for instance, in, in Central and South America, the native people, they add selected potatoes, corn, mice, beans, uh, and, 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 and what else, and, and peanuts, di different plants. And in Europe a lot, in China a lot. What is a native plant used for food in Australia that now is, is spread all over the world? The only one that I can think of is um, a native spinach, which I know is very popular in France, yes. tetra Tetragonia. 
Um, yeah, yeah, the Patagonia, yeah, but it's, it's just a very little example. So it means that the native people there, they have a completely different way to, a completely different diet. I mean, uh, in, in any continent, you find what we call staple food. You have the wheat in, East, in Western countries, rice in Eastern country, maize and potatoes in America, cassava, tapioca, manioca, whatever, whatever you want to call it, in Africa. How about starch plant, staple plant in Australia? Well, there's, there are tubers, like Murnong is a tuber that um, has been yeah, eaten by Aboriginal people. Uh, there are grains, so there are some people who are growing native grains and yeah, um, trying to revive that. I think, yeah, I, I think perhaps there's a lot of work ahead to make it commercially viable in, t in terms of cultivation. Um, yeah, it, I mean, so much of that knowledge has been uh, ripped away through through colonization and through violence, and um, it's, uh, there's a lot of recovery to be done there. Maybe all the native knowledge has been destroyed because no, no, no plant came out from Australia and went all over the world. I mean, when the Spaniards conquered and destroyed the Mexican Empire, they took corn. And, and corn today is the most important crop all over the world. In Pizarro, he went to South America and took potatoes. You cannot think about Europe without potatoes. So no, you can't. But I think one, of th one um, theory that I've heard is that because Australia was colonised around the same time as the Industrial Revolution, yeah. uh, there was this... Um, you know, food started to be produced uh, more industrially, and it, there was no. It, it, it was. It was about an imposition. It wasn't about um, you know convicts and um, the you know early settlers were sent with you know they took rations, they took food from England, processed food from, yeah, from yes, England, yes. and they brought sheep, and you know they brought rabbits, and they really weren't interested for the most part in learning from the people that were already here yeah. and that were living successfully from the land. Yeah, I think I agree. I mean, there was, was the, the depletion and we, they did not consider anything about the local culture. No, uh, it's a, it's a, yeah, I mean, there's a, um, yeah, it's a, it's a big, it's a big story and it's a story that, you know, this Australia has to grapple with, um, you know, as we move towards, uh, it's Italian. We have been eager of knowledge from other people. I mean, when the Greek introduced the, uh, the olive tree in, in, in Italy, it was 600 before the modern age or the Christian age, whatever you want to call it. And then olive became what, what is today in, 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 in a very short period. Yeah. Maybe it's a difference, you know, if, if the people that you're sure you're conquering them, but you see them more or less as equals, um, maybe, maybe that's a difference. Yeah. Um, I think uh, let's talk about olives because I know that's an expertise of yours. And yeah. I want to just ask you, I'm, I'm sitting at my desk, I'm looking out my window, I'm looking at my olive tree. Every year when it fruits, I think, how did we get from these bitter, inedible, green little balls to, these, to this idea of beautiful, marinated, succulent olives and even more mysterious, olive oil. But olive oil, olive, olive oil is, is, a, is a very miracle. I mean, I, every time, sometimes I try to let my students understand how 
they really understood that they could get olive oil, oil from this fruit. If you think about ancient world, they, they get some olives from the tree, from the wild olives, and they understood that there was something inside that could have, could have been used, but not for only for food, but for energy. The very important use for many, many hundred years of the olive oil was not uh, the, the salad dressing, but the lamp lighting lighting the, 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 the cities. The olive oil was used like to burn it, just to burn and to right. make my, uh, and just to make light out of it. But for many centuries, the Italian, the, the king of Sicily and Naples, uh, they were the, the largest exporters of olive oil in England, in, in Austria, in, in France, just to light Paris, London and Vienna. Wow, I, didn't, I never thought of that. It's so amazing to look at a fruit and think it can light a city. Before the use of the oil of the whales, Nantucket, Moby Dick, the only oil used in, in, in lighting the cities was the olive oil. So how do you get, like, there's, I can't think, is there any other fruit that you press and you get oil yeah. out of it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, pressing, now it's easy. And uh, you have to bear in mind that the, uh, the modern technology we have, and the, the very modern, uh, we have something very modern now, they can get oil out of the fruit in the best possible way. I mean, the oil has never been so good as today, all over the world. It's very, it's, I wouldn't say it's very easy, but it, it is easy to make an, a very good olive oil. Somehow it's much easier than making an, a good wine. If you have proper technologies, if you just understand when you have to press the olives and how, I mean, you can get a olive oil, very good olive oil. So it, 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 this is why in Australia today and in New Zealand too, maybe better than in Australia, they can make a very, very good olive oils. Uh, hey, we think our oil's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have some problem with climate because uh, the, 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 the radiation is too high and sometimes the, the, the olive burns out. So, I mean, the olive is, can be can lose some quality. But it depends on varieties. I mean, we have hundreds of varieties. In Italy, maybe, maybe we have more than 600 varieties all over the territories, all over Italy, from northern Italy to the island of Pantelleria, which is the southwest part of Europe, we have in every part a specific variety because the olive tree is very site specific. And this makes us in the position to have many different kinds of olive oils for whatever taste you want. You want high, strong taste, fructate, you want light taste, we have it. We want, you want robust, we have it. You want whatever you want, you can get out uh, you can get it in Italy because the, the, we have plenty of varieties and, and, and uh, genetic variability that allow us to produce whatever oil is needed to be produced. Mm. I mean, I, I think 
Australia's attitude to olive oil has developed a lot in recent decades. I know it's not that long ago that olive oil was something that you purchased at, at the pharmacy. It wasn't a culinary, um, it wasn't wasn't prized for its culinary qualities. So we have we have come a long way. Yes, because, I mean it's it's easy to understand why the the, the, uh, the Australia uh, like the like the, this, the like USA it was the consequence of the British Empire, and you know Europe is divided in 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 the butter and olive oil world as in the beer and wine world. It's a line. <laughs> Northern yeah. people. They use butter and, and beer, we use olive oil and wine. But now the world has is, is, is changed and, and so olive oil is more familiar to everybody than in the past. And uh, now people understand that olive oil is essential for your health, is the most important fat in terms of quality, in terms of uh, uh, in terms of healthiness that you can have in the world. It's much better than butter and or margarine and stuff like that. Olive oil is very, very, is a very excellent product. I know, pa Paolo, that you are also very interested in, in stone fruits. What? Tell me what's happening in the stone fruit world. What kind of developments should we be excited about? I mean, uh, stone fruits... Stone fruit, which is peaches mainly, or apricots and, um, and plum, uh, uh, at least in my country, in Europe, we had an invasion of new varieties, mainly from, from California and Florida, which means that many local varieties have been, have been destroyed. You have to bear in mind that uh, until the end of the war, which is now 70 years ago, uh, most of varieties in Europe were local varieties only because transportation was very poor. Mm. Glavin roads, uh, I mean, the, the fresh fruits, they didn't travel. So the selection was not made considering the travel. Now, fruits travel all over the world. So you find, for instance, something which is to me is horrible, stony hard peaches. How can you, how can you explain a young guy that a stony hard peach is good? How can be good a stony fruit? I mean, hard like a stone. I love, I like melting peaches. When I was a kid, I loved melting peaches in summer. Peach is a summer fruit, and a summer fruit must be melting because it's like drinking water and you like it. If you're in a beach and if it's very hot, you like melting peaches. You don't like stony hard peaches. But the market and the, and the, the groceries, the big markets, they like stony peaches because they stand the shelf life longer than melting ones. And this is a lose of quality, a very high and very, very important lose of quality, in my opinion. Today, the major problem we have is the lack of flavor, the lack of taste. And fruits are like, as they are very similar to each other. But in Italy, our culture believes in differences, not in uniformity. 
If you travel all around Italy, you find differences. And you like Italy because if you go in Tuscany, you have a specific diet and specific food. If you go to Sicily, it's different. If you go to Pedimont, it's different. If you go to Venice, it's different. And this is why we love Italy very much, because of differences, not because uniformity is. Yeah, my goodness. fight at world level. Uniformity against particular quality site specific again yeah i mean i love i love that i love that so much but it makes me think you know this melting peach it's like not only could you not carry it from you wash your mouth you have plenty of liquids and you'll enjoy it very much if you're a kid the most beautiful peach in the past was the red heaven the name of the varieties was Red Evan. Red Evan was a fantastic fruit. Now it is not growing any longer because it's big and melting. And people like people. The market like, sometimes market is not people, the market likes small peaches and stony yard. Oh my God, I don't like them. No, but I think, you know, when you talk about this melting peach, it's like you can barely carry it from the tree to the kitchen, let alone from Tuscany to Piedmont. So I, I really love this, um, yeah, this this reverence that you're talking about for difference that I hadn't really thought of it in this way. It's really you know, beautiful. What happens is that he, 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 uh, I, my family, they were farmers. So if you have to grade the fruits, Weighting fruits and assessing the, the weight is 100 grams, 120 grams, easy. You need like a, just a balance. But if you talk about taste, how can I make you sure about the taste and the flavor? Is that the, fa- the, 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 the taste and the flavor it depends very much on interaction, on your personal perception. So it's very hard to sell fruits on the basis of taste and flavor because you can face a class action. I can say, oh, my peach has a flavor of, I don't know, a flower. And you say, no, I don't, I don't feel it. But if I say this is 100 grams, you take the peach, put it in your balance and say, okay, this is 100 grams. This is why people appreciate and pay fruits only by weight and size and external uniformity, external color, absence of defects. But there is no price and there is no evidence possible for internal, inner quality, taste, flavor, and, and appreci- real appreciation by the, by the consumers. This is why the fruit quality is decreasing worldwide. Because we only wait, we only see weight and, and uh, how does it look like. Mm-hmm. I always say to my students, it is like the history of the apple of Snow White. Very beautiful red apple, but poisoning. <laughs> so external beautiness doesn't mean qualities always. You can have very excellent external quality, but the apple will kill you. <laughs> yeah. I, I told you, this is, there's no white lesson. lesson. Um, you make me think of a, an article I read this week about 
some scientists are developing an e-tongue, so an electronic tongue that can taste, but I feel like <laughs> this melting peach is wasted on the e-tongue. Um, I feel, you know, I think one thing about Italian food is is emotion. It's like that you feel... Yes, where is the emotion? If I, if you, if I, I don't see you now. If you tell me that your weight is, let's say, 50, 52 kilos, I, I don't feel any emotion. I need to see you. And if I say I'm 80, 80 kilos, we say, oh, I can take it, just fine. I don't, you don't know if I'm fat or not. I, I, you just know my weight, but you know nothing about me. And if you only weight, if you know, if you only pay fruits by weight, and by appearance, you lose a lot of information. Mm. But I, I guess yeah. what, what we have is we have fruit stickers with branded fruit and we know that a jazz apple is supposed to taste a certain way or a pink lady apple is supposed to taste a certain way. Yeah. I mean, I suppose that the marketing and you know, the branding, the, the companies do try to give us some sort of indication. And I mean, there is this notion of being able to this that there should be something you can trust but it's um yeah it's not the same as as your melting peach but but, but you mentioned names of apples let me let me be a professor if i ask you name of peaches do you know any name of peaches mm, i mean i guess variety like i know clingstone and well, i guess it's a kind of peach it's a kind it's of peach a, it's not a yeah but if i ask you apple you say pink lady maybe you say mm, fuji or many others even pears you know names in peach you don't know any names people don't know that every single week during summer they change variety and the idea the marketing people give you is that from June in, in, in Europe, in our hemisphere, from June, in summer, I would say, from June to September, you have the same peach. And this is not true. You change peaches every week. You have a different varieties. But you feel the same experience. And this is the opposite than apple. In apple, you have the, the golden, which is yellow, the, 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 the red, which delicious, which is red, and the green varieties, which is green. So you recognize the, the, the internal quality by the color in apple, many, many cases, but not for peaches. Peaches are, I mean, we have a color, which is the pink color, but now you have no pink color any longer. Peaches are dark red. Do you remember? You're a lady. The pink color was a typical color for, for dress of ladies. Mm. What is the what, what which is the pink color? Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the peach color, the, the 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 pink peach color. What is it? <laughs> we lost it. Or oh, the white flesh peaches, fantastic smell. Lost it. We lost it. Mm. We have white peaches still, but yeah, very, but very few. Yeah. Oh, you're making me. Um both nostalgic and hopeful for a, a juicy, a juicy future. Um, Paolo, I, I just what just let's briefly go back to olive oil. I would love you to give us some advice about how to choose the right olive oil for the right purpose. 
<laughs> yeah, this depends very much. I mean, uh, this is very much. This very much. Sorry, this very much depends on your diet. Uh, for instance, yesterday night, it is cool now in Italy. We have what we call minestrone. I mean, we have a, a very hot uh, preparation with, with with chickpeas and lentils. And in this case, you like a strong olive, tasty, very tasty olive. You put in your in your minestrone, which is what is very hot, and you smell all the flavor of the olive oil. In this case, you need uh, a, a very fructate olive oil. But if you are trying to cook a boiled fish, now you need a very light olive oil, and you don't want the olive to cover the, the, the taste of your of your of your fish. So you have to olive oil is like wine if you are very well experienced. I have in my apartment uh, at least three kinds, three different kinds of olive oils. One is very fructate, and I use it for salads and for hot dishes. One is very light, and I use for to make mayonnaise or, or fishes or shrimps, just to cover them. And then you, I have a kind of what I call what I can call an average oil. I can use everywhere in salads and in preparation to fry. So olive oil very much depends on what you eat. And how yeah. long should you, or how, how long have you got once you open a bottle of olive oil before you should use it? Ooh, that's a good question. Now the bottle of olive oil is, is, is better in the past. Uh, the olive oil, the, the tap of the olive, the olive oil bottle, it's, it, it avoid you to, to add olive oil in, in the whole bottle many times. Uh, I think uh, the olive oil must be kept, kept in the lowest possible contact with air. Otherwise, you, it oxidates and, and, and change the flavor and the taste. Let's say that, I mean, we consume one kilo of, of olive oil in a week. If you last one bottle for months, that will be a bad. I mean, olive oil is not a very lasting produce. Mm. It's not like wine. If you have a Montalcino or Chianti or whatever wine, you can say, I have a Chianti from five years, 10 years, 15 years ago. Olive oil is a year product. Every year you need a new one. Yeah. That's the rule of thumb. I mean, there is no meaning of a, a, an old olive oil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I would say when you open your Chianti, you better drink it within a few days. I mean, I'd better drink wine Chianti within a few hours. Okay, good. <laughs> um, Paolo, it, depends your, it depends on your company. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> like more than 10 minutes and less than a day, let's say. Um, yeah. Paolo, it's... Um, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, to gain from your expertise, knowledge and passion. I'm really grateful to you for, for you. beaming in from Palermo. Thank you so much for your time on Dirty Living. Thank you so much for your time. I thank you so much. I, I love your country. It's a beautiful country and it's a glance in the future. I enjoyed very, very... I was 25 years ago in, for my first time in Australia, in Darwin, 
in Kakadu National Park, Irish Rock and Canes, and then in Queensland. And this time I spent only five days in Melbourne. I hope to be back in the future because I, I love the country. It's a fresh country. It's a, it's a beautiful country and the beautiful people. Very, very good people. Well, don't leave it another 25 years, Paolo. We look forward to welcoming no, you back. No, 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 no. <laughs> and the next time I will go there, you will, you will bring me to find the very Australian restaurant and very Australian food. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a date. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.